Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday morning. I came back yesterday, middle of the day. From Muncie, we had a good uh, Shabbos there, Scotland and Residence. I want to thank all the people that I stayed at and were uh, very hospitable and good reception. It was in Wesley Hills up there. Um, the Horowitzes, uh, you know, uh, Shmuley and Pessy Horowitz and Daniel Cohn and all the people that put it together. Um, and Saturday night, we got together at my nephew's and we did a talk on the Czechoslovakian Jews. And nice I love there also, so it was a good weekend. Uh, <clears throat> but I came back late yesterday, so I'm a little bit behind. But today's uh, talk uh, is being sponsored by um, Bensi and Landa. I agreed that he asked me to do some uh, Menachem Kasher, who I thought of from time to time, but it's a, too big of a parsha, but I said, now what the heck, let's try it. Because a relative of his has been seeing land from Yoshalayim. And once you put the bug in the head, it takes a little while to germinate. But uh, now it has. And I'll talk about him. <clears throat> talk about Menachem Mendel Kasher, who was a big rabbi, but wasn't a rabbi. No, he didn't have a rabbinical position or anything like that, but a great t- scholar, let's say, Torah scholar, um, of the 20th century. He's born in 1895, and he died in the early 80s, so, you know, most of the 20th century. <clears throat> and a very unusual guy. I would use the word weird, except that weird sounds bad in English, and I, that's not my intention, because he wasn't weird in that way. But he certainly was born into certain frameworks and always kind of transcended those frameworks in very unusual ways. <clears throat> so what am I talking about? I'm not sure he's well-known in the sheep world or anything like that these days. Uh, Menachem El Kasher was a guy who's born in Poland, in Warsaw, is a Gerich Hasid. But he ain't going to be, as you'll see, he ain't going to be your average Gerich Hasid. Um, I think his father was rich. I think. But look at the dates. You always have to look at the dates. If he's born in 1895, and you know, he was an Eloy, a genius, no question about it, he's a genius. And, you know, he was talking and learning, and whereas you can imagine a rich Hasid in the good old days before the First World War, the old world, you know, if you had money, it was fun. And uh, Gare was in its heyday, baby. Before the First World War, you know, tens of thousands of Hasidim, you can just use your imagination. <clears throat> and the guy's the Eloy. And so he comes up the ranks, and, you know, uh, since he was very smart, he learned about Velt. No, no surprises over there. Okay? And uh, he started... Uh, you know, if you're if you're Eloid, so you can talk to the biggies, even though you're younger than them. And so he had to do with all kind of people, um, especially with Mayor Don the Klichemda, who eventually gave him smicha, also Menachem Zemba, people like that, right? Uh, it's a it's interesting. You know, he corresponded 
with famous rabbis around the world. This is not your average teenager. The thing is, when he's 19, let me just see here. That's right, when he's 19, the whole world goes to hell because the First World War breaks out and it's a, it's a, it's a pandemonium. Okay? Now, that means he's living in Poland, I think in Warsaw, during the First World War, which means the German army occupies it. And it's an extremely unusual and interesting period in Jewish history, the German occupation of Poland in the First World War. Um, I actually did a series on this a couple of years ago uh, in YouTube um, in the summer about First World War and its impact on Orthodox Jews. And a lot of it had to do with what happened in Poland. And the Hasidus is very much part of it. And to use general terms, because that's all I can do in a talk like this, the the war forced a kind of expansion of horizons, maybe, for the Ger Hasim and the others who were the main guys in Poland, because uh, the Germans are there, and because a new country is emerging, the new country of Poland, many other Jewish groups are, are really being activated, the Zionists, the Bundists, the secularists, with captivating hashkafas, and there's the necessity to respond to it. You can't do things exactly the way you've done before. Uh, in the bad sense, a lot of people dropped out of Frumkite. In the good sense, those who stayed, like Darwin, came up with new and interesting ways to adapt to the new reality without giving up their Yiddishkeit at all. And our hero would be one of those, in my opinion. And so, uh, uh, what do you call it? comes active in the Agoda because the German occupation actually created the Agoda Sisrael. I know it sounds funny, that's what happened. They had these Gekesher guys from Frankfurt, you know, like the Hershian types and other Orthodox rabbis. And then they had the Zionists against them and then they had the second, the Reform rabbis who were, all these guys were advising the German military government how to handle with the Jews. It's a long parsha. Like I said, if you're interested, you'll go and look up the YouTube business. Um, but that's the Kachzich world in which Menachem Kasher grows up. So he's very much Ger, Ger Chosid. Um, He's an Eloid. He's not your average guy, so he's, you know, can talk and learning and write and learning with all these famous rabbis from all over the world. And he's getting involved very heavily with Agoda, because Agoda, to be perfectly honest, Agoda was Ger. They were the main force. Okay? Then he gets married, he gets Smicha. Um, the Ger Rebbe tells him in 1924, uh, I think you know this, the Ger Rebbe, I'm not going to say Zionist, because that's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. He already was interested um, in moving to Israel. This question is how, when, where, and how you do it. Uh, already in the, after the First World War. Uh, I mentioned the other day, uh, listen back, and the Sholi built and all that. It's very interesting that the Hasidic movement, and they blew it here, there's no question about it, they missed the opportunity, did not move in any kind of serious way to Palestine in the 19th century. I don't think there's one big Rebbe, as far as I can think of, that said, I'm transferring the flag over here, and Mila Shemilai. Let's just say, I'm just making this up. Let's just say, for example, the sons are up. The Rebbe said, I'm moving to Palestine, to Yerushalayim. You can be sure anybody was able to, who was a follower of his, would have done it also. Next thing you know, you'd have a big Hasidic population, or maybe a majority. 
or this rib or that. They didn't do that. And as a result, they were all in the middle of everything in the First World War. Although Palestine was also a war front in the First World War. After the First World War and all the terrible things that happened, it was terrible times, even though it wasn't a Holocaust at all, but it was terrible times. Some Hasidic rabbis started to think, there's no long-term future here in Poland. Hear what I'm saying? There's no long-term future in Poland. So they started to think Zionistically, although they wouldn't say it, and in their mind, I think it would be like, not the same line, but in parallel. The Zionists come from a secular Zach. Let the British rule Palestine for the next hundred years. As long as there's unlimited from immigration there, we don't need a state, you know, like that. That's more like the gear. And I think in 23 already, he made his first visit, and he visited Eretz Israel a number of times in the 1920s and 30s. Okay? Now, um, of course, in retrospect, we say he should have moved there in 23 and told everybody in Gare moved into, well, who knew, you know, Hitler, all right. But still, this is what happened. And so when he came there, uh, he said, we got to set up the operation over here. We got to, little by little, transfer to the headquarters, Terrence Israel. The Gare Rebbe had no idea at that time that in 1940 he would have to run away to Israel from the Nazis, but I'm talking about in the 1920s. And um, one thing you want to make is a Hasidic Yeshiva in the Gare style what they call Spasemis. And so he asked Menachem Kasha, our hero, who was about 30, late 20s, 30, moved to Palestine from Poland. After all, he wasn't poor. And uh, set up the yeshiva, the Yubi Rosh Yeshiva, in Spasemis. Okay? Uh, and he did, because if you're a Ger Chassid, you follow orders. And he moved to Palestine in 1924, 25. Now, it was the mid-20s he was there, setting up the business. What I mean is, setting up the, um, you know, uh, what shall I say, the, the, the framework for yeshiva, giving some shiurim. I know exactly what he did. For a Hasidic yeshiva, which has been around for 100 years. I think it, maybe the Svasema doesn't exist anymore. I know there's a civil war going on in Gare. I don't know all the politics. Maybe it closed down and resulted. I'm not sure. But anyway, you know, it was important. He could have, let's put it this way. He could have had a career like that. Right? Money he had in the bank and investments. You live in Yerushalayim. You run a yeshiva. I mean, what's wrong with that? <laughs> right? What's wrong with that? Here's the thing. And this is the interesting part. Uh, and again, he was a tutsuk, you know. He was uh, the secretary of the Moetzik Yolia Torah back in Poland. I mean, he was in the middle of Gary, you know. Th these guys ran the show. The other Hasidim didn't like that so much to Alexander, but that's the way he went. Now, uh, his natural interests were in a different direction, and that's what makes him an interesting figure. His natural interests were in what I would call a certain form of modern Jewish scholarship, or Chachmas Yisrael, or Wissenschaftler's Judentums, or Haskalah. Which is funny for a guy like him, because he really was a Gerich but he wasn't your average guy. The modern movement of Jewish scholarship assumed many forms. Um, a lot of it's unfrobed. The underpinnings are, you know, secular. On the other hand, even the firm world today is into certain variations of this modern scholarship. I'm speaking specifically, for example, of the Rishonim books that come out from most of Cook or things like that with all the footnotes. 
the idea of where the manuscripts, where'd you get it from, what's the right gear cell, what's the provenance, who's the author of the particular manuscript you had, how did it get there, what was going on at the time it was written, all this kind of stuff can be applied to something secular, like the rings or Shakespeare. It can be applied to the Chidushi Rashba. Let me put it to you this way. Are you telling me about Rashi? Yeah. I mean, Rashi, let's say, for example, in the Gemara? Yeah. Are you Medayik and Rashi? Oh, definitely. How do you know what you see in front of you that some dude in the 1500s in Italy says written by Rashi is? Maybe he's full of it. The page you look at Rashi and Subis, whatever. Man. Uh, I mean, how do you know? The answer is the Olam is a Golem in the sense that they don't ask no questions. The figure came from from publishing world and the others use I'm using also. I'm assuming that what I'm saying over here is Rashi is really from Rashi. But how do I know? Now, in the case of Rashi, there doesn't exist any originals. We don't have any, assuming that he actually wrote it the way we see it. You see the question I'm raising? We don't have, as far as I'm aware, any autograph of Rashi, anything he had physically wrote. So then it becomes a question, so how do I know? I'm asking a good question now. Where does Rashi and Ksubis come from? You say, well, they got it from the earlier Gemara. Yeah, I know that, but where'd they get it from? Well, you end up going back to the first printing of the Talmud, you know, way back in the early 1500s in Italy or something like that. Well, where'd they get it from? You see my point? Right? Now, the average person says, I don't know. That's not the learning. Learning Rashi is the learning. But the question I'm raising is a good question. That's a fair question. This is what I mean by Chochmah Yisrael, Jewish Science, the Wissenschaft des Judentums, Modern Jewish Academic Scholarship. At that level. At least get your gears right, your manuscripts right, know what you're talking about. You know, you got to be a historian to some degree of that kind of stuff, a historian of literature, almost an archaeologist of a certain type. Okay. Now, I'm simply bringing this out to say that even though it's not a yeshivish thing per se, but it's an important part of Jewish scholarship. But it's always been one that 99.9% are not again. Only 0.1% or whatever you call it, 0.1%. Or I see it. Our hero is one of those. Okay. Um, in his particular case, uh, he was interested in advancing the cause of Jewish scholarship in a from, but also in a non-from way. At least I would say so. And he got an idea early on. Um, and so, and it is a modern idea, but it's also a very from idea to do. The Torah Tamima right. The Torah Tamima didn't do it right. I'm going to do it right. By that I mean, the Torah Tamima, as everybody knows, has all the Gemaras on the Pesukim. Which is showing you the Torah Shavalpeh, what it has to say about the Pesukim. But the Torah Tamima is by no means comprehensive, quite the opposite. He's more interested in giving his explanations of the, the, the Chazalti he brings down, whether it's a Gemara or something like that. But it's only selection. Now, the average guy says, who's got the time and effort to, to do the whole thing? Menachem Kasha that's what I want to do. And so he left the job in Yeshiva in Israel, which I guess he found boring, which is interesting, to undertake this project, which is 
to change the world by getting the Torah to me, right? Or as he calls the Torah Shlema. Right? And that's to take all the Pesukim and the Chumash, and on each Pesuk, put every single Chazal that exists. That's quite a statement I just made. Leave nothing out. So then you have something scientific. Because then you have all the data, and then you're in a position to make comments, to learn it, to understand it, analyze it correctly. Because if I only give you half the Chazals, or a third, or something like that, or anything less than whole, you don't have all the data, you might shoot your mouth something, come up with some shot, and there might be some other Chazal that you don't know about that totally blows you out of the water. Only if you have all the relevant information are you able to make a judgment, at least what Chazal had to say about Pusik. The scientific part lies in its comprehensiveness. The firm part lies in the idea of you're trying to uh, advance the, the notion that the Torah Shabbat is not something phony or made up, but rather it's inextricably intertwined with the Torah Shabbat uh, And you can't understand the Torah Shabbat unless you know the Torah Shabbat But on the other hand, what does that mean? Besides the generalization, you have to know the Torah Shabbat He would say, oh yes, you got to know every Chazal that's going to get to this Pesach. You have a Pesach called Bracious Baral Kim Zeshemayim Tell me what's out there. You have a Pesach that says, Vahichai Yisar Shabbashanim, whatever. Tell me every single Chazal that's out there. And so, that's a major work. It's a major work in several ways. It can be done, but it's not easy. First of all, i got to have every medrash. Well, you say, okay, I mean, okay. I, can, I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it can be done. Every medrash rab on this Pesach. The reason I say it's not so easy is, the medrash are all out of, out of order, you know what I mean? You might have some comment on Bahil Chayisara, but not in Parshas Chayisara. I think everybody knows that, right? It's, that's why I mean when I say it's not in order. Um, so you have to do, you have to go through Medish Rabbah from beginning to end and make notes, underline, you have some system, and then you can find every single Chazal that's on that Pasuk. Or Kisisa's Rosh B'nai Yisrael B'fkudim, or whatever you want. Um, and then Medish Sanchuma. And then the Pirkei Belezer. And then the Gemara. Anytime there's anything in the Gemara, and they get to that Pasuk. And then the Yushalmi. And then the Mechilta Sifra and Sifri. And then the Tosefta. And then the Psikta Rav Kahana and all that business. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a pretty big job of assembling all the material. That itself, um, today could be done at the touch of a button with the computer, but we're talking about that time. didn't exist. That's why nobody ever even dreamed of doing this. It's too big of a job. He got enthusiastic. He said, I'm going to do it. But I'm not finished. What about the weirdo Midrashim? You know, nobody's ever heard of or see barely. I don't know, Midrashim, so, or this, or, you know. Well, you find the Oats in Midrashim. And how do you know it's real or not? And I'm not finished. There are a lot of unpublished material out there if you're talking about the 1920s and 30s and even today. There's a world of mechkar, of, of scientific uh, research, which is not yeshivish at all. But in other words, it's extremely important. And let's say, for example, I'm in the Pasuk Chayisar, and I just did all the material that I just told you, which is a Vodas Perak by itself. Um, 
And now, I say it like this. What's out there in the physical libraries of the world, in terms of unpublished manuscripts, that, as we all know, may have tremendous treasures in them, and maybe from Ghazals, um, and stuff like that. Has anybody gone to England and gone, let's say, to the Bodleian Library, you know, Oxford or whatever, and looked through everything, everything, to see if there's anything referenced to Vayu Chayisara? Is there such a thing? I'm not done. What about what's in Cambridge? They got Dickenisa fragments, plus who knows what else. Because in Cambridge, you had a lot of other stuff as well. I'm not finished. I want to go to University of London, University of Edinburgh. I'm not finished. Now I got to go to the Vatican. <laughs> you see where I'm going? Right? I'm not finished. I got to go to the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York. I don't care if it's conservative or not. They have a tremendous library, and they have a lot of extremely valuable saviyads, right? You understand what I'm saying? Uh, that they acquired one way or the other. It's 1929, 1930. And you only find this reference from, uh, maybe a good beer, maybe a bad girsa, from something, some kind of uh, weird medish or variation medish rabba on the Pasuk Vayu Chaisar. So that means I got to travel around the world. I'm not done. I got to go to New York Public Library, which had manuscripts. I got to go to all the American University that might have manuscripts of that, including the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. That's why Menachem Kashi, once upon a time, used to come to Baltimore every year or two because he's going to the Library of Congress. I'm not finished. I got to go to the Reform and Conservative Seminaries around the world because they have this stuff sometimes. So I got to go to Cincinnati. That's a weird site. A guy who looks like a Gerich Hasid. Um, I mean, with the pay is. And the beard, that's what I mean. Uh, in the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, in the height of the Reform Movement, when, you know, eating treif was one of the Ten Commandments. Or the Jewish Theological Seminary of Breslau. Or in Berlin. Or the Jewish Theological Seminary in Budapest. Or here, or there, or the other. This is a weirdo. That's what I mean. You see what I'm saying? And he's doing it in a grand quest to find is there anybody out there in the Uh I may go to Morocco. I might hear there's some old rabbi his unusual manuscripts and this sort of thing. So you have to be driven plus a genius to recognize a fragment, you know, and you have to have good eyesight and tremendous patience and so on and so forth. And you need money behind it. He didn't have that kind of money. And so you have to raise money. So you're on the road all the time. This he did for many years. Going co constantly from country to country, place to place. Half the time you're trying to hit on Gvirim or other foundations, junk like that, to get money. But the other time you're going to talk to the scholars, let me see the manuscripts. Let me see what's out there. Maybe it's a colophon. Maybe it's Somebody wrote something in the back of a safer. It's it's uh, mind-boggling, the challenge of this. And he undertook to do this, and he never gave up. So if he started in the late 20s and he died in the early 80s, so was he going to put 50, a half century of this, constantly doing it, to go through Hamisha Chumshatara, he put out, you know, these thin volumes every time he did a, a, a sedra or two, 
And uh, that became part of one of the things that libraries and people, if you're a certain type of scholar, you buy back in those days. And selling it to people in the way was part of the way he made money in order to live and finance his projects. So here's a guy, the Chassid, but he ain't a regular Ger Chassid. And the Ger Rebbe knows about that. He understands this guy is not regular. It's unusual. He wouldn't be crazy about a regular Ger Chassid going to the Jewish Theological Seminary, but Nachshon Kasher is different. Uh, and he was. And he really was. And so this is what I mean when I say he's a very unusual figure. Okay? Now, um, he put decades into this. And little by little, with an iron will, he got the stuff published. And people who were a certain type of rabbi, let's say, and certainly a certain type of professor and scholar. Let's say I was a rabbi in 1950. I'm just making this up. Even a show rabbi. But I'm a cut above. If I get Menachem Kasher, if I get the Torah Shlem, that's what he called it, on, on Bayou Chaisara, I can give a very good speech, maybe. If I look up all the Chazals in there, and the Midrashim that nobody's even familiar with. Well, we've got a twist on them. You see what I'm saying? And by the way, it's not just collecting the stuff at the top, all the Midrashim and all the Chazals, which is amazing, but he has zillion He'oras on his footnotes are humongous. They're bibliographical, they're historical, they're lumdish, they're all kinds of stuff. So, you know, this was his labor of love. He obviously didn't want to be a regular Magish here in Yeshiva. That's too narrow. He wanted to roam over the whole world of Torah literature in the very broadest sense of the term and in the scholarly sense of the term. And if it's the 20th century, um, this is considered very chashub in the academic world. The people should compile the necessary encyclopedias, dictionaries, cheater books of the type to enable scholarship to proceed because you can't expect everybody to be a villain and Avad Yosef. You see? And so, he was one of a whole group. There was Kosovsky did the same thing with his Toseftas and whatever he did. And um, Binyamin Menashevin did this with the Otsir Gaonim. These were unusual scholars from, from, who roamed the world on this grand intellectual quest to create a set of cheater books that everybody will use and will enhance uh, Torah scholarship in an unusual way, uh, even though it's not in the regular Shibisha thing, because the regular Shibisha Russian Shibisha will say like this, I don't need this, I got my Shittuk Mitzvah, you know, I got my uh, Ritvab, I'm a, a Panay Yeshua, I'm fine, <laughs> I'm fine, I don't need the other stuff. It's nice, but I don't, you know, they're very narrow. He certainly didn't use the Shals and Shibisha, you know, here's a guy that's the reverse of narrow, and wants to say like this, I'm going to bring into everybody's bookshelf, access to the totality of all the Chazals. Anything written by the Tanah Memorim, which is a lot, on Pusik by Pusik, and with the full footnotes at the bottom. This is a humongous operation. Okay? And in typical Jewish style, one guy undertook to do it by himself. We have a whole history in Judaism, going back to the Rambam and before, where one guy wants to write the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, you don't get a team Nowadays, in 20th century, 21st century, you become westernized enough. Like, I was part of the team for Art Scroll. There's a team doing the Masifta. There's a team doing, I don't know, you know, whatever's coming out now. It's a team. 
Um, that's how you do it. No, nope, he wants to do it all himself. Like Zevin did with the, with the uh, second piece of Tom Lewis. I'll write it all myself. You know, that's that generation. These guys were a certain Hebra. I should think about this once. Maybe I'll do a, a lecture on YouTube. You know, the, the, the Hebra. There's a certain group. You know, Zevin, Menachem Kasher, Binyam Menachem Uwin, um, what do you call it? Kasowski, the other guy. They, 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 a certain sug. And they all had to be big gunning to operate in this way. But they're not doing it in the regular, you know, Russia Sheba and there is a high Berlin type of situation. Uh, now, I'm only scratching the surface of what I said so far. Now, the type of person I'm talking about, Menachem Kasher, his virtues were his vices. The idea, he has this break kite led him to what I would call Pizer Kochos. Now, I'm going to say something that someone could totally disagree with. There are two sides to this. This is my perspective. But I'm totally willing to hear the other side. He had one big mistake, in my opinion, and that was the following. If you're going to undertake to do a thing like this, basically you have to drop everything else and be like a monomaniac. I'm just going to do this Torah Shlema project because it's humongous. And I mean, to go to Russia, to the Vatican, you know, it's, it's crazy. And the key point is to finish. So they have a chumash out there, available to anybody, or a set at least, and has every single chazal from Bracious Bar to Laini Kalisro. That's an amazing thing, especially when you put in his footnotes in Gamarno. So don't get sidetracked to other projects. But he couldn't help it. Is this who he was? And said, because he was a Mayan discoverer. And so first of all, he got sidetracked to a whole bunch of things. And because of that, he died at the beginning of a but he never made it. And he was already an old man when he was in Leighton Vayikra. But if he would have been full vigor, full cojos, so he couldn't fish all the way to Dvarm, I think. And then you have a Dabr Shalib. As it is, the Torah Shalim is only partial. And that hurts it, although it's good for the parts it's good for. Right? Now we're this week is Parsha Chayisara. You can have a lot of fun. <laughs> the Torah Shlema, much, much more than the Torah Shlema. You see? Um, but he never finished by Midbar and Dvarn. This is what it is. So this is what we call, because he was naturally somebody's into peace or cocos, which means he dissipated his energies in a lot of different directions. That's not really nice to say that, because I'm not talking about going around drinking or gambling. In other projects, which he shouldn't have done, but you could totally disagree with this. One of the things that happens is like this. As he did, made his way through the Chumash, he wanted to, I mean, he knew so much. He wanted to clarify and bring out um, a lot of different uh, uh, issues that arise, which one, in order to deal with one, has to have tremendous knowledge Torah knowledge and others. And as a result, he has excursies on different subjects, which he calls Miluim, at the end of every parasha or so. And they go from long tangents and they use, each one's like a book. You get it? So I'm just opening up at random. The set. I've never Torah Shlema. My wife got it for me, I forget what birthday it was. 
Uh, it's a great set. The guy in the bookstore didn't know she's talking about. He said, oh, you want Torah Shlomo? <laughs> uh, I just opened this at random. And this is following Kisisa, Perik Lamadal. And then he goes over these Milim, which are massive pages and pages. Listen to this. Simonal, Adov, Edecha, Edim, Elot Tfilin, Sim Base, Keshet Shel He's got a whole thing on that. Then on Yud Gimel Midah Shel Rachman. He's got a whole thing on Kuntras Haluchos, Uksavam, and, you know, what exactly, were, how the Luchos were made? Because it's Parshik Zisil. Ubo Tisha Prakam. You listen to this? Number one, Mikasav Haluchos Ashnim. Number two, basic Sav Nechtu Haluchos Ashnim. Number three, Dino Shel Ksav Ivri. You know, Ksav Ivri and Ksav Ashuri. Number four, Haksava Mechtav Haluchos. Number five, Chiv Ksivas, Ksiva B'Shabas B'Chol Haksavim. You know, if you write it on Shabbos, I guess, with Ksav um, Ivri or something like that. Nusach Luchos Ashnim's Kenuchos Ashnim's Commissioner Torah. Ksav Ivri Libona Bemezuzas. Osius Hey Bekuf Tvukos. Hashem Bekzav Ivri. And he's got, I'm not finished. Then he's got Chaga Matzos. Beer Chomets, same old beer Shalabarazar. Masve, Perushu Methusa. What does it mean to Moshe put a Masve on his face? Then he's got Hashlomus to this stuff. Right? I mean, it's unbelievable. And the Rashimos, Psukim, Betagmu, Shalmi, Ashon. Salviad Romi Shubim inspired with Krach Zed. It's crazy. Right? I mean, it's a book within a book. Okay? It's a book within a book. And then I see when they stuck in also now this is stuff about um Mishkan's business, you know. What like Parshish Puma. Machsa Shagal Pam Machas, Pam Shapam Rabos, Tchelis Varagoma Salah Shoni, Tchelis Bismanazeh, Tsvias Orze Modamim. Amudi Arm Shamshim Kruvim Tsurasa Kruvim Kachikachim. Do you know who praised the uh, Mishkan stuff, his stuff? Uh, all of his excursions? The Babacha Rebbe. He told the Chasidim once, you know, go through these parshas of the Mishkan and read the Menachem Kasher. All those details, because his style is to be very comprehensive and bring everybody and then bring his own, you know, Chedushim or opinions. Well, it's okay with me, but if you're going to spend so much time on this kind of business, you ain't going to finish your project, baby. And that's what happened. So, he, all through, so when you get the set, you not only get the Chazal stuff, the Torah me kind of stuff, which is for me the most interesting, and for most people, but if you want to, you get all the Menachem Kasher scholarship stuff on a hundred different subjects. It could be a man on the moon, seriously. I mean that. At least write about people on the moon when when they land on the moon. Every aspect about that, you know, halachically, and about the international date line. He used to fight with Chaim Zimmerman over that, and this thing and that thing. And other thing. I'm telling you, it's it, there's such a thing called the Encyclopedia of Menachem Kasher. Nobody ever put it together in organized fashion, uh, and you know, as as a series of volumes of its own. And that itself would fill a, a, a bookshelf. So he got sidetracked over here. Um, I remember he was stuck in America in the and Second World War. You know, because he couldn't leave. And he spent a couple years in New York, so he went through all the, you know, the, all the manuscripts and the JTS and all this kind of other business. While he was in New York, he made an Arab. He tinted that, and he wrote it all up. He tinted the Manhattan you can carry. He's the one that said that. Because, you know, the Karka of Manhattan is straight up from the water. So you have good Achis, good Asik, you have like Mechitzas, better than an Erev. 
And I don't know how he got around the bridges, but he did. And he wrote it all. As you know, Ramosha finds he disagree with him, so they follow it. I've heard some people follow it. You know, he's the one that you know, was Machadashit. He's no dummy, you know, he's a great man. Now, in America, they follow Ramosha Feinstein. But I'm just telling you, that's the kind of guy, this is what he did in his off time. Uh, so it's Pizra Kokos. He scattered his energies in every direction because he had so much to say. And it's like, you know, crazy. He, while he was in America, he, he did a Haggadah. You see it all the time, Haggadah Shlomo. Some people think it's Haggadah Shlomo. That's Menachem Akash Haggadah. You know, he's got everything. Kali Shorchat's got every shita, every, you know, uh, a minhag in there. And then his own kiddush on them. It's like, you know, and uh, his peers at the bottom of the Haggadah's, you know, is highly eclectic from every Rishon, every Akron. It sounds like a pedia. Matter of fact, while he was in America, you know, a guy like this had his friends and admirers. These would be the people around the world who appreciate what he was doing, which aren't many people. And Leo Young was one in New York, not surprisingly. I remember in the war, Leo Young said, yes, you're putting out this Torah Shlema, let's put it out in English. Maybe we can make some money selling it in English. And they did the Encyclopedia Bible Interpretation. It didn't go anywhere. It was like a volume or two, I think. Um, and of course, it wasn't so comprehensive. It doesn't really go for English well. I just remember, I think... I know I've seen a picture. Leo Young gave a copy to President Truman. <laughs> I think Menachem Kacha was there. And he, he, they took a picture. It's probably online. And Truman said what he always said. Gee, I always wanted one of these. <laughs> you really wanted a copy of a translation of Torah Shlema? Okay. <laughs> you know. Uh, so this is, you know, who he was. Now, I'm not finished. Meanwhile, obviously a guy like this is from the generation of the Shoah. Uh, one of the things he did, he was a Gerachosid. And he was living in, formerly living in Israel, although he was always roaming the world. Formerly he's a citizen of Palestine. And when the war broke out, in 1939, he organized a committee to save the Gerachosid. Because, you know, the Gerachosid got out just ahead of the Germans. Uh, just ahead of the Germans, and that required political, financial all kind of organization, the Germans were out to get him. Um, and so, but he had contacts everywhere, he was able to use it. That itself is like a story. You understand? That itself is a story. These people now online have a lot of podcasts. There's a story you want to pursue. Um, it's, it's quite remarkable. Uh, but when he was so affected by the Shoah, and then right after the Shoah came the state of Israel, that hit him over the head like a two by four. And he was a big Zionist. By that, I don't mean a Ben-Gurion type, but, and he was a Gera Chassid, and the Gera not Zionist at all. Aguda. But, the Aguda is always of the opinion, we don't know how to touch up the religious and theological significance of Medina and Israel. I don't know. Is it Ashkalta de Gula? Is it uh, Sitra Achra? Is it this? Is it that? We don't know. Right? That's more or less the unexpressed sheet of the a good Israel. We're saying the Satmar and all would say it's a Sitra Achra. The uh, Mizrahi, Rav Kuk would say it's a Aschalta de Gula. Menachem Kashel is Aschalta de Gula. He said we're in a messianic process. 
And this is something got sidetracked in. He wrote about Velt. He even says in his Agora, you know, there's a custom among some where you should have a four, not four cups, but five cups. Right? And he said, listen, now that we have Medina Israel, he wrote this in 1950, tremendously impressed by the events of 1948, the Israeli independence and the war, which Israel won, uh, and he said, you should have a fifth cup, because you have like this, how's it go? whatever. And what about the last one? Nowadays, we're we have a Jewish state. I know it's not perfect, but we have a Jewish state. Uh, don't make a bracha, but you, everybody should drink it or something like that, or the balabash, I forget how he said it. You can imagine, every time he did something like this, the super Haredim got angry at him. That's why he wasn't popular in the Haredi world, at least when I was growing up, except among the uh, more intellectuals, more enlightened in the Haredi world, because they all had his stuff, you know? And if they didn't have stuff, they cheated and used it from a shawl. Uh, but, you know, certain things, you know, were over the top, and uh, we can imagine how Satmar reacted to him. Uh, I think the Satmar Rebbe said something like this, Israel's a funny place. My min is a kaifer, and kasher is treif. Something like that. Because yeah, my min, you know, was ahead of Mizrahi. Now, it's a play on words. It's not a ma'amin, it's maimon, but, you know, it sounds good. The Yiddish is even better. My min is a kaifer, and, and kasher is not kosher, it's treif. Because he was, you know, pro-Zionist, even though he was not a Zionist in regular sense of the word. But on the other hand, he, he was not an un-Zionist either. So, all these things... Or sucking, as far as I'm concerned, sucking out time from what the main thing you should be doing, which would be like the hedgehog, you know, one great thing, and you just go ahead and concentrate and finish the dog on Torah Shlomo. But that's not who he was. You know, he saw a hundred things out there and he wrote, and he wanted to write about each one and get it published. And therefore, he's unbelievable. I bet he wrote a hundred books or 90 or a hundred books. Along the way, while I was in America, he came across. Um, Hidden stuff, I mean, there was, I forget exactly the story, stuff from the rocket shower. Maybe it was sent to an aunt from sister or something like that. Uh, I forget exactly how it works out. Uh, Rabbi, uh, what's the name, told me the story once. Rabbi Hyatt, who's now not well, needs her for Shlema. Uh, Shlema Hyatt's father, from Silver Spring. He said, because it was something in Peoria, he used to be in P his father. Rabbi Hyde's father was in Peoria, I think, if I remember correctly. And there was a lady who had the Ksavim of the, what do you call it, the Ruggachavar? People didn't know about. I forgot how she got it. And it was brought to the attention of Menachem Kasha. He went wild over it. And we spent a lot of time publishing uh, Ruggachavar stuff that nobody else had. That's why the Lababs really liked him. You know, I myself years ago picked up, but I have to tell you, I haven't read it in a long time. Uh, Things that Menachem Kasher published on the Rugged Shover, with whom he was fascinated. He knew he used to correspond with him. You know, they're, they're both the big Bucky types and all that. And uh, here it is Mishnas of Yosef Rugged Shover, Moshe Shlomo Kasher, Ben Menachem Kasher. So the son put it out together with the father. Right? And it's, uh, you know, the Rugged Shover, you don't need me to tell you, he's unusually unusual. And he's got things in Surah B'chomer. You know, he's got from Marnavuchim, Neis, Metzias, Neitzach, Ismane, Ruh, Miach, Ismane, Philosophical concept. 
in the rugged server. And then I have another saver. I feel guilty. I haven't looked at this stuff in a long time. Tyrus Rogachara from Menachem Kasher. And so, in other words, he brought, let, let's put it this way, to go through the manuscripts. And he got YU to participate in it. But see his dinners, they do a shua. I should really keep this with me. You know, that's a good thing. Maybe I'll keep this on my table, looking more. You know, you know Rogachara is into those concepts. You know, what we consider a brisker, Dragon Shabbat takes the next level. And um, that's why you never know. The two Chavrusa, when they were kids, was Rukhan Brisker and the Dragon Shabbat, who was much beyond who. But that's a separate thing. So I'm just trying to show you how he, he went off on this tangent, went off on that tangent. Meanwhile, he's putting out those uh, volumes one after the other. They're all thin. You know, Parshas this, Parshas this, Parshas You're going through Brashish Shmos. Let's see, Vayikra. But you're going off on all these tangents. We got together with a guy. Uh, was it? Was it? Um, was he Orthodox or conservative? Wait a minute. Yeah. Excuse me. I had to stop doing something. Uh, what was I? Hold on for a minute. I am sorry. A lot of interruptions. Anyway, I was talking about the fact that um, he was affected by the state of Israel. He went nuts. In '67, and totally understand it because we won the Six Day War. We got the Kotel, the uh, the Shtachin, the Sinai Desert, the Golan. You know, it was like, is it again? You know, good as I guess. I don't know what it means. You know, hopefully it means something good. The Mizrahi, I mean, the uh, some Rebbe said it was was a Maisa Sutton. Uh, you know, the uh, Mizrahi says Chalta de Gula Mamish, and he published a whole big book. I got it long ago. I read a little bit of it. You know, and so typically him. By the way, this is a book of oh <laughs> six, seven hundred pages, I don't know. Called Hatkufa Hagadola. Uh Pirki Hisbonus Bamatsa Umba Arsenu B Hagdosha Bishazu Ubir Makif al Darki Hagul Bisimonel Aisodibi Khazar Bishan Bachornim. Notice what do we know about the Shonim and the Achornim on how the future Gaul is going to take place? And in typical Menachem Kasha style, he brings everybody. And he discussed it down to the detail. Look at the um, chapters. Hanesim ben Melchem and Sheshe Ayimim. Yavu Hanesim ikol makam simon ha-geula. Geula sisrael kim ha-kim ha-geula. Come a little slowly. Tchila simon ha-mashiach. Magia ha-keks ke-emyad. Aschalta de-geula b'derech ha-teva. Aschalta ya-kadosh baruch ha-ba'atzim. Oladei shleich basavadam. And so on and so on and so forth. Betchila samei ha-shviyas. Hesoros ha-geula seretsu b'yashvusa. Which is interesting. I assume he means... You know, uh, uh, around 1940, is that what he means? Um, he knows the fact that there's been a service among the Jewish people to move in more numbers to Palestine 100 years before the state. And so on and so forth. And then, <laughs> in typical Menachem Kasher style, <coughs> From a halachic perspective, do you have to go and destroy the, the churches uh, and the idols, you know, that you find in the old city? From a halachic point of view. Shalson Tush Bapirish Tibri Hamaral, Bapirish Tibri Sitra, Bibir Hakini Sitra Achon. No, as you did a Satmer say it's Sitra Achon. What has been the definition of Sitra Achon in the Kabbalah and this and that the other all over the place? Mahusha Shal Achov. I don't know why he wants Achov. Mishnah Hurl Melochim Melchim Mashiach, Bien Varis, you know, at the end of the Rambam of there. 
Shalson Chubis Minyan Mechamashesh Amin Baseras Ashwatim. Oh my goodness. Divri Rabbin Yisrael Akriya Sabachoris Akneset. Right? And what did the Gedolim, like the Panavish, you know, say in 1948? And then he's got Sefer Kol Hator. This is an old controversial thing. Is it really reflect the Vilna Gons uh, circle? Is a, that's a thing I don't want to get to now. You know, the guy published a book, and there have been several versions of it, which may come from a Talmud of the Groth, and sounds very much like Mizrahi. And, you know, half the people say it's true, and it represents how Vilna Gon foresaw I'm simplifying, you know, the more or less the modernized state of Israel. And the other side says, it's a if it's a forgery, like Sternbuch and many others. They put it all in there. So I would simply say like this. it's a He was a passionate guy, obviously. And he couldn't stand on the sidelines. It can't be. And I'm living through times of amazing things like we've never seen in Jewish history and not have an opinion on the subject. You know, like that. You see? But that ain't the Ger Rebbe. That ain't the Ger Hasidim. You see? So he was, but they gave him slack, you know. No, the mountain kasha is different. No, the guy's different. Ain't too many Gary Hasim that are friends with reform or conservative, this secular professors, scholars, and all. Mountain kasha is different. No, that's really what it was. And so, as you see, he went a hundred directions. I have a good book, Sorry Ha'elf. This itself is a major work of scholarship. It's like, um, it's, 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 it's another way of, it's, it's sort of like the Chidah. On the Shem Hagdol, he did his own thing. Rishimas Asfarim Shabedfus Machabrim Shodikuv Asel Shan. Every published safer. I mean, I'm, I'm flipping over at at, at random. Okay, um, Riff. Alfasi. Then you have the Zrachia Levi underneath. Then you have Yehuda Ben Brachia, the brother of Zachariah Levi. That who knew about him? The Rivet, of course. Then another safer from the Rivet because of Shem. Then you have Rav Yonason Kol these are the commentaries on the riff. The Meshulam by Moshe Sefer Hashlama on the riff. Rabbi Huda Ben that's already from um, Italy. Pirush on the riff. The Shai Detrani Achron Chidush Arias from Nisan Berud Ron, obviously. The Shulta Gabarim. You know, you see what I'm saying? Anybody published a Sefer, and the year it was published, and and so forth and so. It, I mean, it's quite encyclopedic work. That is what he liked to do. He's encyclopedic works. So basically, anything you read from Menachem Kasher is packed with info, right? No fluff, it's all info. And tremendous scholarship you can learn about. The trouble is he wrote so much, but to be perfectly honest, you could spend your life in Menachem Kasher land. You know? I mean, it sounds funny I'm saying it. It's so voluminous, all of his stuff. Uh, and, you know, he's not the last word on any subject, but he's got a lot to say. And therefore, he's a very unusual type of person because he doesn't fit any, you know, peg. He not he was a chassid, but not the regular type. He was a researcher, but not the regular type. He was a 20th century academic um, scholar, but not the regular type. Everybody in the world is going to use the Torah Shlema upstairs, the upstairs, because he did the work of gathering together all the chazals. So I don't care who you are, from, not from. Uh... None of these non-from people are going to be interested in his other writings. They're written for a from audience. And let's say he was going to write something to defend that the Zohar is real. The non-from ain't going to be interested in that. You see? He's writing something on the, you know, based on the Rambam, the Rishonim. The non-from is not going to be interested in that. So his monument that was Matzav L'cholam as far as I'm concerned, was the Torah Shlema. And down to this day, if anything good comes out of this podcast... It would be that for those of you not familiar with it, don't use it, I would strongly encourage 
um, that you should get used to using the Torah Shlem every week. It's big, it's voluminous, it'll take up your whole week. So if this week is Chayisar and today's Monday, if you get in the Torah Shlema, it's like another Rashi times 10. Because you're going through every single Chazal, and uh, he's got all these huge notes at the bottom. Uh, so it's a survey of all the literature of Tanayim Amarayim, on the Pasuk by Pasuk. So basically, it makes the Torah to me look like nothing. They get it? That's the point. It makes the Torah to me a pale in comparison. And that was his goal. Not to knock the Torah to me, but, but to, you know, to do it right as he saw it. You understand? And um, uh, that's why I said that he never finished it. He died, and I think um, he had a son who, who lived a few months after him. I, I think, he, if I remember correctly, he died like at the end of a year or something like that. And so he moved it forward, I believe, to Nusso, you know, by Midbar Nusso. But then it just caved, it fell apart. This is, a, this is a job waiting to happen today. Somebody, but it's not easy to do all the research. Although it's easier today with the computer. You know, everything's digitized, but not everything's digitized. Um, it would be really a, a, a public service if someone would finish the Torah Shlemo for the rest of our Midbar The Makom put out uh, Miguel Sester and um, what do you call it? Uh... Was it Ruth? Yeah, I think I have it. Uh, Megillus Esther. So maybe that's all. Maybe that's all they have. I think they're Ruth. I can't remember. But they did it. You know, let's put it this way: semi Menachem Kasher style. They bring all the Chazals, and that's the most important part by far. But they don't bring all of his personalized footnotes to Horus, which he gets very personal and varps here and there and up and down over and around and through. But it's still very useful. So when Purim is coming around not too long from now, if you get the Torah Shlema piece, it's a black volume. The Megillah Sester, you'll have every single Chazal and every single Pesach in the Megillah. If your job is to make a Dvar Torah or something like that, I mean, there's your material. What I'm trying to show you is an underused resource. It wasn't exactly Shivish, so you didn't get any Shivish world. It wasn't exactly Mechkari, so you didn't get so much in the academic world. His books are always in the, in the library. Any self-respecting library of, of an academic institution, and most yeshivas have the Torah Shlema, simply because it's tremendously useful. You know, the Rosh Hashivas may or may not like his Ha'aras. It's tremendously useful. Um, you can't take that away. Um, the Raghat Shavar stuff, the Sari Aleph, there are those who have a habit, those who don't. Though, I'll say it again, you can learn a velt from his stuff. It's all info, info, info. And he has his, you know, he has his style. He has his mahalach, especially on the international dateline. But I can't tell you how many excursions he had. I wouldn't be surprised if he had, if it comes out to 100 books, his ARs, the the things he puts in the middle room at the back. It's not an exaggeration. So he couldn't resist. You get it? And therefore, the glory and the tragedy of Menachem Kashu is, he got as far as he had, and he published all this extra stuff there. But he didn't fin finish the main goal because he only lived so long. A guy like him had to live another 20 years and have good health and your mind to finish the project. And when he died, I don't think... He was a one-man show, pretty much. And he didn't have a whole operation like Art School or something like that, but like they do nowadays, Machon Yushalayim, whatever. And therefore, he didn't finish. So, uh, if you've never looked at his stuff, his whole way, 
if you do what I'm saying, you're going to skip the next year, Parsha the week, uh, you know, Rishonim and the Achronim. You just spend all the time with the Chazals. Uh, you could do a lot worse. Uh, I did it many years ago, more than once, and that's why I always had extra Devere uh, Torah that others didn't have, even though it's there. So it's one of those big, big resources out there that a lot of people don't use. But it's really good. Uh, his kids, his, I think his grandchildren are not from, I believe, I believe, I believe like him, they really got into the Israeli system. I know his grandson is Asa Kasha, who the law professor, I think he is, who wrote the uh, rules of combat for the Israeli army, you know, the military ethics. I don't think he's religious. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Most of them became like, you know, professors, at the most kippah guys. And that's also why the Yeshiva world was like, eh, eh, eh. But uh, he was a great man, no question about it. He definitely was out of the box. Uh, the question is, we live in such a boxed world, the firm world have room for somebody who operates outside the box, uh, even if you're a great genius. And the answer is always going to be like this. Some in the firm world, yes. Some not. But if you always want to be ahead of the others and have access to information that the guy next to you in Shul doesn't have access to, all you have to do is go to the Torah Shlema, which is right there on the, most likely, on any decent-sized Shul library, or locally Shiva library, or something like that. I don't think it's online. That would be an interesting project also. But really, 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 the biggest tribute would be if they would finish it off. That's not only me. The Lubavitcher Rebbe said that. When he died, he said the real tribute would be to finish it off, but of course they didn't finish it off. So they're still waiting to do by Midburn and Dvarim. Um, and uh, that's his legacy. So he didn't make speeches, he didn't give shiurim in yeshiva, but he wrote volumes and volumes. But the trouble, and I finish with this, is when you write volumes and volumes and volumes, what you're really doing is saying like this, to know my material, you have to not learn anything else. <laughs> you have to devote an enormous amount of time, right? You have to devote an enormous amount of time to uh, to this sort of thing, which is okay with me, but um, you're not going to end up, what shall I say, uh, you're not going to end up you know, doing anything else. So it's funny, he himself roved, roamed all over rabbinic literature. I mean, all over, you know, Hasidus, Rishon, Machron, Chazal, philosophy, you name it. Uh, but if you want to be like that, you won't have time to read all of his material. But if you go partial by partial, week by week, especially if you're the math science type, I would say, right? Math science type, you'll really get a lot of kick out of his insights, even if you agree or don't agree with all of them. Anyway, with that, I close it down. I want to thank Vincent and Linda again as family for sponsoring this. And I wish you all a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.